0: This is the Living Fearless Today podcast, a show that helps men like you and me who are struggling to get unstuck and overcome fear to live confidently and courageously. I'm your host and transformation coach, Mike Forster, helping you create the change you want now. Join me as I interview men who've conquered their challenges and soared to success as they spill their secrets on how they live fearless today. hello and welcome back my friend man this week i'm totally excited to have eric neerlich uh join me and we're going to talk about burnout eric's really done some you know had had the experience in that burnout you know it's like we've all pulled long hours hit that point where it's like you know i really would rather go golfing or just stay in bed whatever eric was pulling 100 hour weeks plus for three years so the man has you know earned that badge, that coin to say, yep, he's a burnout, (laughs) you know, burned out through that process. So he has a personal experience with that and can speak from that. And that's something I think we all get to at a certain level. So excited to hear, you know, how he, he got out of that and moved forward, created some boundaries with his work and personal life to, you know, be in a healthy position. We're also going to talk about, um, how he had gone from, uh, you know, like a, like the self-sabotage messages, right? The things we think that cap us and it's almost like quicksand. We, we think these things, we say these things and we sink, we, we do things in a negative way to almost cause a reaction and, uh, you know, have people react to us in that way. And then we're going to talk about loneliness. There's enough of us as guys where it's like, We don't have the relationships around us that we want, either because we're working from home, or working so many hours, there's responsibilities, things that need to happen within the family. You know, it's just life is not the same as it was before. So we're going to get into those and I'm just really excited. Eric, how are you doing today, my friend?
1: I'm doing pretty well. It's a Friday afternoon as we record and uh, looking forward to the weekend.
0: Yeah. Got big plans for the weekend.
1: Uh, I mean, yes, I guess I'm going to actually leave my kids behind and go play games with some, some friends of mine. And like, that's, that's a big deal for me. It may not sound like a big deal to most people. Like I'm going to play some board games, but a few hours away from the kids is a big deal.
0: Yeah. Especially when it's like you get to hang out, you know, kind of be present, uh, and just strengthen those relationships. I mean, that's something that we don't do often enough or have those relationships to really invest in. So, no, that's okay. vital, man. I'm glad to hear it. So let's start out, Eric. What does life look like for you on the professional side of life today?
1: Yeah, so I work as an executive coach, which means I work with leaders to help them grow their impact, to reach their next level of leadership. And I've been doing that about four years. And a lot of what I do there is what you talked about, the self-sabotage understand helping them understand the ways in which they are getting in their own way mostly that looks like the things that the the skills the traits the behaviors that got them to the where they are turn out to be the exact things stopping them from getting to the next level and it's very difficult to see that from inside your own head so as a coach I help them see it from the outside and offer them some practices and new habits they can build to to, yeah, to unlock that next level of uh, potential for themselves.
0: Yeah. The way I've heard it put is it's hard to change things when you're on the inside of the bottle. You can't read the label and everything that's going on. So it's almost like we have a blind spot, like when we're driving, right? You got mirrors, but there's still blind spots and having somebody like you to make us more aware is what we need to be able to go, hey, did you realize you're doing this?
1: (laughs) No, not at all.
0: (laughs) So... Very good. Cool. Absolutely.
1: And you're doing the thing again. Did you notice how you're doing the thing again? <laughs>
0: <laughs> right. Now it's one of those of, no, I'm not. <laughs> you either go into denial or I can't see that. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it's, mm-hmm. it's 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 like you said, you know, it doesn't matter if if we're um you know just a, a dub like a W two or uh what what uh range we're in, whether we're you know working at the just entry level or we're in You know, upper management, there's those blind spots because of our, our past experiences and the beliefs we've built around them. And it's almost one of those that, uh, you know, just we become accustomed to it having somebody like you to say, Hey, did you realize you're doing this? It can be personal. It can be professional. We've got those limitations having you shed a light, you know, put a mirror up to it is so freeing and empowering because then we can move beyond and continue growing. It's almost like, uh, trying to grow corn with a two foot roof, right? You just don't get that, that lift, that elevation, the maximum growth that you could have. So, um, yeah. So what does life look like on the personal side for you, Eric? Uh,
1: on the personal side, I'm married with two kids. My kids are two and a half and almost five. So that's, uh, at an age where there are a lot of work, but a lot of fun. Um, and yeah, I live in the San Francisco Bay area, uh, and, uh, I don't know. That's basically it. That's pretty much all I have time for. Uh, I guess, you know, parenting and, and working is, is a lot <laughs> for me right now.
0: Yeah, it definitely keeps you busy. I mean, family, work, and then it's like trying to get some, you know, time for yourself. It's one of those carving it out, being intentional, just like you're doing this weekend, getting together with the guys and going, hey, I need some time for me to be the best I can, you know, at home and at work. So. hmm. Absolutely. Well, let's, let's jump back to when you were working a hundred hours a week and you weren't just doing this for a short term. This was a three-year time frame, And if I remember correctly, you ended up on Christmas day in the hospital, your body just kind of went, Hey, I'm done, Eric. <laughs> we, we have no more to give. Um,
1: I, I wasn't in the hospital, but yeah, it was a oh. 103 degree fever where it's just knocked me out. Like I was, in bed for a week, but no, gotcha. didn't didn't feel bad enough to go to the hospital. Just okay,
0: to, my bad. Uh, um, no worries. But it still knocks you off your feet. I'm like, man, that's that's when your body's like going, okay. We tried giving you hints, Eric. <laughs> You're just not listening, and it takes a more extreme. How how did you get to that point?
1: Yeah, so um at the time I was working at Google, which is you know one of these dream companies. You like dream your whole life to try to get into it, and I'd finally gotten into it, and then. Uh, I wanted to prove I belonged. So whenever asked me to, whenever anybody asked me to do something, I'm like, yes, I can do that. And in fact, I'm going to over-deliver whatever you give me. And that works great. Except that Google is one of the funny places where when you do good work, they give you more work to do. And that turned out to be a really bad combination for me because I'd be like, okay, I got all this under control. And they're like, great. Take this on too. I'm like, wait, No. Except I didn't actually know how to say no at the time. So I'd be like, okay, I can do that. And they're like, oh, okay, you have that. Here's some more. I'm like, "Ah, okay, I can do that. And I didn't know how to say no. Because I was like, I want to prove I'm worthy. I want to prove I deserve to be here. And in particular, the point where I burned out was when I was trying to go up for promotion. My manager was like, you got to do this to get promoted. You got to do that to get promoted. You got to do this and this and this. And I tried to do it all. And... As you said, it was ending up being hundred hour weeks, like eight AM to midnight most days. I, I joke; I sometimes would take a Saturday afternoon off, um, and uh, it was it was it was brutal. And and uh, that fall, I was just going all out every week, and I was like, I just have to make it to Christmas, and once I get to Christmas, I'll be okay. And of course, I got to Christmas, my so body's like, aha! You told us at this point you'll, <laughs> you'll be okay, so we're just we're just going to shut off now. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that was not. it it was really a reckoning point for me because I'd been looking forward to spending time with my family. Cause I like literally hadn't seen anybody outside of work for that whole year. Cause I'm 8am to midnight. What am I, (laughs) there's no time to see anybody. And I was like, ah, I'm going to look forward to spending time with my family, my sister, my parents. And, and I just had nothing in me to do that. I couldn't get out of bed. And as I lay in bed, I had started to this weird voice popped in my head that said, why are we doing this? Like, why is that promotion worth so much? What would happen if we stopped doing this? Is it worth it? And I'd never asked those questions before. And for some reason, I'd been working long enough and hard enough and uh, been frustrated enough by that point that I, I listened to that voice. And when I went back into work in January, I sat down an entrance and said, I'm not doing that anymore. They're like, what do you mean? I'm like, I'm not working that hard anymore. I'm going to work a normal work hour, work week, and that's it. And my manager looked at me and said, Well, if you can't handle the work, I'm going to find somebody that can. Like, I, okay. If you can't handle the work, you're not getting that promotion. I'm going to have to slash your performance rating because this is what it means to perform at expectations. I'm like, I understand. And that's what happened. They took away half my team. They slashed my performance rating I spiked the promotion. And like the reason I never, contemplated this choice in the past was like those consequences had seemed so dire that I could never survive them. But I was so desperate to get out of that situation. I was like, okay, whatever, I'll take, take the consequences. And the weird part for me was instead of feeling like a total failure, like I have have no worth left in the world. Instead, I felt free. I felt liberated. I was like, oh, wait, nothing happened. Like I'm still here. (laughs) <laughs> like I'm, I'm still like I'm not. I, I did just crumple into like a pile on the floor, and I'm, I'm just don't have to work hundred hour weeks anymore. In fact, I work forty and fifty hour weeks and get paid the same amount. That's a much better deal for me. <laughs> so, I'll stop there and then we can, yeah, continue. Well, I was going to
0: say it's it's one of those man. We can get into our head where it's like I'm expecting. the the earth to fall out underneath me, right? You just continue to push and push and push. And for me, I was working, um, you know, not a hundred hours a week, but I was definitely working quite a few. And for years I was only sleeping four hours a night and it took Mm -hmm. a toll on my body and I'm still working to get out from underneath it. But there was this drive for like validation because of insecurities, right? A lack of Mm -hmm. self-worth, and I've seen that in a lot of other men as well, where it's like, we'll drive and drive and drive looking for that confirmation, that validation, but it's like short lived. Is yeah. that something like that you feel was part of what you were trying to get to as well as if I get this promotion, I get this job, then I will be okay. I'll be, you know, that, that Eric with a gold star, so to speak.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That no, was absolutely coming from a sense of insecurity of Looking for that external validation of earning the gold star. I I, I use that metaphor all the time. Like my whole self was oriented towards like, find out what the expectations are and beat them so I could get the gold star. And that was how I operated my life. And the rule I had in my head was like, I must do whatever my manager asks of me above and beyond what they ask. And that's a great rule. You know, it, it does very well for you when you're like a student talking to your teacher or when you're an individual contributor. Um, but in my situation, it was not working because my manager was asking too much of me, more than I could handle. And I didn't know how to say no. And for some reason, when I was lying in bed that week, I realized I could change the rule. I must do everything my manager asked of me unless I accept the consequences. I was like, oh, wait, there's this whole clause I was, I've been missing, <laughs> And I was like, oh, I could just choose the consequences. And once I chose them, I was like, oh, this opens up whole new worlds of possibilities. Cause instead of being an absolute must-do, it was like, it's a choice.
0: Yeah. Now, like that feeling of freedom, um, did it come immediately, or was that like a longer process in getting to that point where it's like, hey, I feel this weight is lifted off of me. And You know, like you're expecting the end of the world, the bottom to drop out, you know, just like, oh, my gosh. And that stuff doesn't happen. Like, was that immediate or did it take a bit (laughs) to recognize it?
1: It was not immediate. I wish I could say I was that enlightened. But no, when it first happened, I was, you know, you know, shaking my fist and cursing at my manager and saying, I will show you. And, you know, how dare you do this to me? all that kind of stuff. Uh, the ego just, you know, having a little tantrum and it took a few weeks for me to realize that in some way she had done me a favor. Like I said, I had too much work. She gave me less work by taking away half my team. Like she was solving the problem that she had been given. <laughs> and, uh, I, I really think she was trying to do, trying to help me in that way. She was like, if, if you can't handle it, like I will find somebody else to do the work. And that's what she did. Um, but at the you know certainly in the immediate aftermath i i my i had a little tantrum and pity party but very quickly it turned into like wow i have all this time to explore things i haven't thought about in 3 years and i have time to invest in my life and time to see my friends and this is kind of nice actually
0: <laughs> time to breathe <laughs> yeah <laughs> so as that's unraveling right it's revealing to you, Hey, this is actually a good thing. Was, was there also like a recognition that came with it? Like we had talked about a few minutes ago of what's driving, um, those actions to work a hundred hours a week. Did that come about from that or was that something later on that, that that was the epiphany there? That was
1: later on. I think I, I think it, it was the first maybe the first proof point for myself that I didn't have to rely a hundred percent on external validation, but I don't think I had the awareness at that point to recognize what a driving force that was for me. Probably wasn't until I actually went into therapy that I kind of (laughs) figured out some of that stuff.
0: Yeah. But I mean, you're in that process of, you know, the earth not falling out from underneath you. It's challenging those lies and and false beliefs that you've been brought up with. And so I think that's like a great first step for many of us is just, oh my gosh, you know, just like you talked about these negative consequences, right? Mm-hmm. They didn't come about instead. It's like, there's, there's space, there's freedom. I feel lighter in my stress load.
1: The interesting thing for me was I had been so scared of failing for so many years that I hadn't actually tried anything new because like, what if I fail? What if I don't know how to do that? And the year after I burned out and had this kind of epiphany, let's say, I was able to take up new things. So that spring I learned to snowboard. Like I'd never snowboarded before. And that summer I went on a bike camping trip. I got on my bike and took some camping gear and just biked down the coast of California for six days. Didn't know how to do that. I just figured out how to do it. And then that, uh, in that December, uh, I had been planning to go to India with a friend and the friend bailed at the last second. And instead of doing what I would have done before, it's like, oh, I could never handle a trip to India alone. I was like, what if I could? What would that look like? And I went and I went for three weeks exploring India by myself. And it was amazing. And it was just like this reaffirmation that, like, I can handle more than I think I can. And that was just an amazing uh, gift to myself.
0: So if If I was just stepping out of a a role like that, right? So I come out of an IT background. If I was just stepping out of something like that, Eric, what could I do to begin that process of building that confidence and the courage? Like you've talked about going to India for three weeks when your buddy bails or, you know, learning all these new things. What can I do that, that is a good first step to start building that courage, that confidence to then take bigger steps down the road?
1: Yeah, I would say like, it. Does, you don't have to start with these big dramatic gestures. That's just kind of the way I'm wired. Um, I think it starts with very little experiments of like, what is one thing you could do this week that's a little uncomfortable? Not like way out into panic zone uncomfortable, but just a little uncomfortable. And that's not what you would normally do. And that could be as small as I speak up at this meeting when I no- would normally hang back. Or it could be, I will uh, volunteer for this thing that I'm not quite sure how to do, but I, I, I'm kind of interested in learning. Or, uh, you know, I've always wanted to learn to play guitar. Let me take one lesson. Or let me watch one YouTube video. Like, these are really tiny steps we can take. And the whole point is to prove I can do something different. It doesn't have to be this way. And once you b- take the, even the tiniest step to shake things up, and realize that you can change your circumstances. The whole world looks different.
0: Yeah. It's, a, it's almost one of those go do juggling, right? Watch the YouTube video, learn how to juggle, learn that, you know, not doing it perfect out of the gates doesn't make you a failure. There's grace to continue, you know, learning, doing and, you know, not doing it right, but to continue, you know, persevering. And I, I yeah. love how that just, you're like, I don't have to take, um, like paragliding, right. I don't have to take something, uh, hang gliding off of a cliff and just, you know, something dangerous, large, it can be, you know, small steps to get their baby steps almost to just start building that, that belief and that confidence to go from there.
1: Yeah. One thing I often tell people both mentor when when I'm mentoring and coaching is, Have one conversation. Like if you're like curious about something like, I wish I could do whatever it is, go find somebody doing it, ask them for 20 minutes of their time and ask them how they got into it. And most people who are expert at something will love talking about that because they want other people to be excited about what they're talking excited about. And if you have that one conversation, it becomes a little more accessible. You're like, oh, here's somebody now I kind of have a connection with. And I see how they did it. And they didn't start off at this high level. They started off at some low level. And if you have that one conversation, then you say like, who else should I talk to? They'll point you at somebody else. And when you have three or four conversations, you'll be like, oh, okay, I can kind of see how this works now. And all of a sudden you have a, a map to the path forward because they're ahead of you on the path and they can give you guidance. So that's one thing that I often say, just have one conversation.
0: Yeah, it doesn't have to be large, just tangible, take action. Well, mm-hmm. let's let's jump to where you were um kind of coming to this point of discovery of like self sabotage in your relationships like you talk about the singleness and dating for you know like three and four months and just things don't have that traction and it will, you'll often hear people say eh, that's just the way i am you know um it, things are never going to change that's just me you've prove that to be wrong because you went from that point to now where it's like you're married, you've got children. So how did you like discover, hey, I'm doing this and it is having negative consequences in my life to to get you to where you're at now?
1: Yeah, so uh I'm going to go back one step further which was even sure. getting to that point. So for most of my life I was I would, I, I used to call myself hopelessly single. Like I had it in my head that I was not attractive, that nobody wanted to be with me. And because I believed that about myself, when I would go on dates, women would, would pick that up and they'd be like, oh, this person doesn't believe in themselves. Why would I believe in them? And it just, and that reinforced the belief that I had about myself. It was just a wonderful self-reinforcing system. And that was most of my life until, well, until that year we talked about it. And uh i literally was on the plane back from india and i was writing my journal and saying like i have a new superpower if i decide to do something i'll figure out how to do it and this was december 30th or something like that i'm like new year's resolution i'm gonna figure out dating (laughs) and and I did that's the funny thing like i just figured it out because the first thing was like i'm gonna go on a lot of dates because clearly I don't know what I'm doing. So let me just try it a bunch and see if I can figure some stuff out. And one of the things I figured out was I'd been putting too much pressure on myself in the first date. I'm trying to like say like, is this person in front of me going to be my life partner, the love of my life, the person I to spend the rest of my life with? And that put a lot of pressure on the first date and it turns out that didn't work very well. And once I was able to change that rule, that mental model, that belief to like, all I have to decide on the first date is, do I want to go on a second date? Like, let's, let's start there. <laughs> Do I want to go on a second date? <laughs> um, and that went pretty well. And I like, was like, I started remapping all these things in my head. Like, oh, people actually want to spend time with me when I'm a little more relaxed about this whole thing. Uh, I got to the point, which you talked about, which was like, I would go date a girl for three or four months and then it would fall apart. And the first time that happened, I'm like, ah, eh, it's just this girl. And then it happened again. And then it happened again. And then it happened a fourth time. And after it happens three or four times, I started to think it maybe. Maybe there was a chance it wasn't the girl. Maybe there's something I had to do with the situation. And that's when I went to therapy and started getting, exploring this insecurity that we talked about before this idea. I had to be whatever the person in front of me wanted me to be. And what I was inadvertently doing was masking myself and showing up with whatever I thought the other person wanted, which works great for a couple dates, three dates, four dates. Turns out after two to three months, the mask slips. They start to see for you really are am like, I actually don't like that person. This is not who you were when we started dating, which is legitimate because it wasn't. Um, and yeah, going into therapy helped me kind of uncover that. I realized like, oh, wait, what if I showed up as myself on the first date? And yeah, they might turn, turn me down on the first date, but then I wouldn't waste three to four months dating them before we figure that out. So that was a big, uh, big insight for me.
0: I was going to say it's kind of one of those of let me just cut my time of uh, four months of disappointment on both sides and actually put out the real me. If it works, great. If it doesn't, we know off the bat. Save
1: time for both exactly. of us. <laughs> that was that was the, the big breakthrough for me was realizing being myself actually saves time.
0: Yeah. <laughs> when you ended up like re- realizing that you were putting so much pressure on yourself, you know, right out of the gate going, Hey, is this, you know, um, is this young lady like marriage material? Um, when you stopped doing that, did you see that the first dates went different, not just for you, but also for the, the lady that you're meeting with, like she's more relaxed.
1: Oh, absolutely. Because I was bringing so much tension and we, as humans, pick up on each other's signals, nonverbal and so forth. So I was bringing so much tension. That would make her like wonder, like, what's going on? And, like, get in her own head and get tense. And then once I realized I could just, just, I mean, not just, but once I learned to relax and put myself out there and be vulnerable and just say, this is who I am, take it or leave it, she, the women also reacted. And they could, had a, we had a much more free and open conversation. Um, and yeah, everything went much better after that turned out.
0: Yeah. It's a novel concept that although we think we're fooling everybody, we're the only ones being fooled (laughs) (laughs) because it's like that tension, these emotions, you know, that energy it's picked up by the people around us and they can see stuff more than we believe that we're letting on. Right. So our body will tell the truth, even if we're not wanting to. Absolutely.
1: Um, the, the, the amount, the ability we as humans have to pick up on these tension signals among each other. Cause like in, you imagine back in tribal times, like if the century is tense, everybody should be tense. Like it's a good thing. We we want to be able to pick that up. We each other, but in our modern day times, when most of us are stressed and, and miserable and on the edge of burnout, it can be a uh, uh, contagious in a much less healthy fashion.
0: Yeah, definitely agreed. As you were going to, you know, therapy, did the did the counselor kind of like as she's they he or she, sorry, as they're going through the process with you, did they lead you into discovering what self-sabotage is, or was it something that was kind of like this light bulb that went off for you, you know, as you're like, hey, that that's not good. That's not right. I mean, how did that all come about being revealed to you like that, you know, that that was what you were doing? inadvertently.
1: I have to think about that. I'm not sure I I remember it clearly enough to tell you like a play by play of exactly how it happened. I I do remember my first therapy session when I went in and like every standard therapy session, I complained about my mom Uh, (laughs) and somewhere in there, she was like, and what about your dad? And I was like, what do you mean about my dad? He's like, she was like, well, how did he show up? I'm like, well, he doesn't, I mean, he was there, but he wasn't there. He was kind of, you know, uh, a ghost in some sense. He went to work. He came home, but he didn't interact much with them. It's like, uh huh. And what are you doing in your relationships? I'm like, ooh, ooh, ow. <laughs> that was uh, that was definitely a moment for me of like the 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 uh, the freight train of insight hitting me of like, oh yeah, that that's what I'm doing. I'm not actually there because I'm used. I have a role model that. Rather than deal with hard conversations, you just withdraw and and recede.
0: Yeah, we mirror and behave as we've had it, you know, given to us as an example. So it's it's not uncommon. It's actually more common than not for us to show up in that way, because many of us have had that absent dad. Right. Dad's Mm -hmm. there, but dad's not involved there. And so we're left to, like, just go okay, if that's how dad is, that's how I should be. And we act what we've seen, you know, we're just, um, acting out the play as we've had the, the role shown to us.
1: Absolutely. So f-
0: yeah, right. <laughs> so from that point, once you were aware of it, um, how did you go about, you know, remapping or disconnecting? like that self-sabotage process. I mean, how did you go about responding differently, um, within those relationships?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, uh, I'll fast forward to the next kind of big breakthrough moment, which was, I had a list in my head of like, what did a, my partner have to look like? And it was like accomplished and, you know, Degree from a fancy college and this and that, and the other things like um, very achievement oriented, like results oriented, like outcome oriented. I was like, This is what I need. I need somebody like me in this way. Except then we kept on clashing each other because it turned out insecurity is one of the drivers of high achievement. And if you have two insecure people in a relationship, (laughs) it's it's not great. (laughs) Um, And so, with one of my therapists, we sat down after one particularly bad break. Well, not bad particularly bad breakup, but it was one where I really thought it was going someplace and then she dumped me. And Mm. because she wasn't feeling the connection she wanted and my therapist, I sat down, I was like, okay, so what do I actually need in a relationship? Not what do I want, but what do I need to be fully present in the relationship? And what came out of that was like, my mom was a strong woman. She was a stay at home mom. And, and, you know, she, uh, uh, guided a lot of my childhood, let's say. Um, And I was like, I need a strong woman, but one that can also be caring. Like it's, it's both and that I need. And I need somebody that can, that's going to communicate. Like that's, that's going to be really important to me because I'm not always the best at communicating myself. So I need somebody that's going to work with me to, to figure out what's going on instead of avoiding the, the hard conversations. And there's one other, but I can't remember what it was, but I went back into the dating market with like a really different set of criteria to, um, to anchor on. And with that, I met my now wife who um, my original list, she meets basically none of those criteria. <laughs> we have nothing in common. We have no interest in common. We are as completely different uh, upbringings. So I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago. She grew up in communist Bulgaria. Um, and but it turns out what we have in common is a set of values, a set of a commitment to communication. And that turns out to be more than enough to to get through all the rest. Like, even if we had all the cultural things in common, it didn't matter because, like, we, I couldn't communicate with these other women. But with her, we talk it out. We figure out what's going on. We figure out a way forward.
0: No, that makes sense, man. You marry yourself. It doesn't go so well. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god.
1: It took took me a long time to figure that one out. <laughs> that I was not the right person for me to dating, but eventually got there.
0: I was gonna say you you realize and acted upon it. That's like the big thing, Eric. I mean, how many of us don't realize or if we do, then it's like, nah, that's really not what I want to adjust to. I, I wanna stick with what I want. You know, it just brings different pain and and consequences than you would, you know, experience if like you made the transition and adjusted like you you've done yourself. So yeah.
1: Yeah. And I'm lucky that I didn't end up in a, you know, bad first marriage. <laughs> Cause I could easily have done that. Um, but instead I, you know, I was much, much older when I got married, but as a result, I actually uh can appreciate and and commit to what I have. Mm.
0: Yeah. I understand that. Well let's jump further ahead. Um So right as COVID was kicking off and, and you've, you know, your family dynamic is changing. It was one of those that, um, life was different between like, uh, what you had experienced and where you were at. And you kind of felt, you know, found yourself at a place where it's like, okay, I'm not in the relationships. Like I'm used to much like many of us that, you know, we're working in corporate or in a position we go home. Then it's like, okay, I don't have everybody around me anymore. You found yourself understandably and quite commonly at a place of being lonely and, and not really having those relationships and friendships around you like you're used to. Mm -hmm. How did you, you know, begin working that out to say, okay, now I'm I'm aware of this and I want to solve it. How did you go about, you know, um, changing the situation?
1: Yeah. So um, just to round out that picture a little more, it it was kind of like I experienced a bit of a triple whammy where I had left my corporate job to become a solo co- coach. So working from home, no water cooler conversation, no work conversations. I had had my first kid. Um, and because of, well, age, <laughs> we ended up hanging out with my wife's friends more than me. So my wife's like five and a half years younger than me. Her friends are younger than her. So they were having kids the same time we were all my friends, kids were in college. So just very different stages of life. Um, and so we basically ended up spending most of our time with her friends, which was made sense because we're at the same stage of life, but it meant that I was not spending time around my friends and then COVID hit. So we really had to squeeze down who we spent time with. And that meant really, we you know, basically went into pods with her friends and I didn't see my friends at all for a couple of years. And that you know, no work friends, no family friends. And, and then COVID was like, made it really tough on me. Um, how I started working out from it, first of all, I, I eventually had the awareness like, oh, this is, uh, this is not good right now. And I went back into therapy. So I'd stopped therapy for a few years. And I was like, I need a therapist. I need to talk to somebody about what's going on here. So that was extremely helpful just to even have somebody to rant to and vent to each week and let stuff get stuff out of my head and process it and figure out what's going on. Um, and then about a, like several months after that, I was, I kind of had this revelation like, wow, I think I'm lonely. (laughs) (laughs) And what's funny is, I mean, I don't don't know if people can see the video, but I have a lot of books behind me. So I read a book. I was like, I read a book about loneliness. I'm like, wait, what they're describing. That's me. That's I'm going through that. That's me. (laughs) So it's kind of hilarious. You know, you talked about the blind spots that we have. And that 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 was well in effect until I was like reading this all the symptoms of loneliness. I'm like, oh, wait a second, I need to be thinking about this. Uh, And that was about a year ago now. And what changed is like I just I started taking more of my time and saying like I need to reach out to people. When I think of somebody, I'm going to reach out. I'm going to email. I'm going to text. If we have a chance to get together, I'm going to get together. I'm going to drop work. I'm going to drop you know take time away from my family as I am doing this weekend and go see people. And invest in my own relationships, not just family, friends, not just my kids, friends, but people I want to see for myself. Um, and turns out that helps. <laughs> it's, not, it's, it's, it's not rocket science. It's, it's, but it comes down to this. One of the things I always say is at the end of the day, we only have so much time each week and you have to decide where it goes. And for me, it was like work, family and nothing left for me. And that was not a sustainable solution. So it's like, even if I only carve out like five to 10 hours a week for me now, it's like, that's a huge difference from where it was a year ago.
0: Yeah, you've got to prioritize it and then be intentional about how you're spending your time, right? It's much like a checkbook, how we spend our money. Mm -hmm. We need to be intentional about spending our time as well. And that makes such a difference. And yeah, I can see, you know, your friends, their kids are going to like, you know, yale but yours is going to like yale daycare a little bit of a difference you know just slight but you know
1: just different stages of life you know it's fine
0: (laughs) absolutely
1: yeah Uh, i was recently at a party with some of my my uh, college friends and they were like all complaining about being empty nesters like it's so quiet in the house i don't know what to do with myself i'm like i got two kids you want to take them you can have as much noise as you want
0: (laughs) yeah and and that's like that emptiness syndrome. I think it was almost like spring, you know, that we've had sometimes where it's like in a matter of six hours, you go from, you know, winter to summer. Cause Mm -hmm. it's like, we're kind of in this sandwich season of caring Mm -hmm. for a parent, you know, a parent. And then, um, we've also got right now, we've got one child that's at home, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's been a different season. One more moved out and, you know, we're like, I think empty nest is just like a unicorn. You know, it's very mythical, <laughs> doesn't really exist, spoken about just in hushed tones, but, uh, it's, it's almost like, yeah, you know, that gold star that you always hear about if you work a hundred hours. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Same kind of thing. So, yeah. um, well, Eric, man, I want to thank you for joining me, coming to share your story, the insights, the way you've transitioned from, you know, letting those, um, the insecurities that we feel, letting them be healed and how you can set up boundaries, the self-sabotage, how we can move beyond that and change. It's not just, you know, who we are is not who we have to continue being. And then, you know, being self-aware, right? You realize you were lonely. Okay, now how do I take action? And that action is how we can bring about that positive, um, those positive consequences, right? Those, uh, the change in environments. So thank you. I Mm -hmm. appreciate it, Eric. And, uh, how can men connect with you outside of this podcast?
1: Yeah. Uh, easiest way is my site is too many trees.com. Uh, so that would be the easiest way to find, connect with me. I'm also on LinkedIn. Um, and if I may be so bold, this is where I mentioned I've written a book. Uh, you have a choice beyond hard work to meaningful impact. So that's at too many trees dot com slash book. It's available on Amazon and elsewhere.
0: So what is you uh, you have a choice about? Like, what's the the premise and what what will it help me change in my life?
1: It's basically everything we've been talking about in this uh, in this podcast. It's. Looking at these unconscious beliefs, these blind spots, and seeing how you are the person keeping yourself stuck. You're building your own cages. And then taking the reader through a set of exercises and questions and reflections to uncover those cages. And then one chapter is literally called Experiment and Learn. Let's try some experiments. Let's try some actions and learn what we can do differently so that we can find a new way forward. So that's that's the idea behind it. But it's basically everything we've been talking about in this podcast.
0: Perfect. And my experiment doesn't need to be going three weeks solo uh, trekking across a <laughs> new country, no. right?
1: <laughs> no. Like, one of my recent experiments was, like, I had a really great coffee with uh, somebody I used to work with. And it was, like, this big experiment. Like, I reached out to him and said, like, I had a good time. Can we do this again in a month or two? <laughs> like, that was a big, scary moment for me. <laughs> Cool. And he said, yes, it was, but it was just kind of like for that moment. I was like, Ooh, I feel really weird. Like being the one that reaches out and I was like, let me try it. So that's, that could be as the experiment. Just like one email of like two line email.
0: Yeah. And oftentimes the other people are scared too, but it's like, it's not that you're not scared. You're just taking the initiative and going, I'm going to do this in spite of the fear and give it yeah. a shot and see what happens. And it causes you to grow and gives you an opportunity to meet with your friends since he said yes in another month or two. So it's a win-win. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. This is important enough for me to face the fear because now I've realized I'm lonely and I need more connection and I'm willing to take that risk now. So that's, that's kind of the, the idea.
0: That's the choice I'm going to make now. Absolutely. I love it. Well, Eric, thank you so much, my friend.
1: Thank you, Mike. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Thanks for having me on the show.
0: Uh, my pleasure. so much, my friend, for joining me on another episode. If you found the information within this show helpful, please leave a review on the platform you're listening to. Helps raise the show's visibility so other men can join us in breaking free. See you on the next episode and remember to continue putting yourself out there. Have a great one.